0: Humans established colonies on Mars a few hundred years ago, but my parents were part of the first series of, forever living in, settlements implanted there. These colonies were created to see if recreating life on Mars was possible. At first, it was only scientists, astronauts, engineers, and folks with other essential duties that had been sent to the colonies, and only for a short time. The longest lasted a few years, or so I was taught. My parents, however, had essentially agreed to become living citizens on Mars. It should be mentioned that my dad was crumbling under debt when this solution was offered, and so was most of the people who agreed to this. Now I, personally, have never seen Earth. I was born and raised on Mars, so I only know what I've been told or what I've read in books. And I've been training like a madman to become an astronaut so that I could move to Earth. Just like most of the kids that grew in the colony, I wanted to experience fresh, natural air. I wanted to see the vast blue sky, the blue seas and plants that were not cultivated in a greenhouse. We all shared that same dream. Very few of us wanted to live the rest of our lives on Mars, and most of us felt like we were being ripped off of that choice. While our colony had plants and animals and was structured like any society on Earth, none of it felt real. Animals were the product of cloning, and careful genetic manipulation, and plants didn't look as green as they looked in the books I read. I wanted to see Earth, and this was the only thing I could think about for the past 18 years. You see, kids that were born and raised on Mars didn't get to play outside. Outside is dangerous. You can't go out without the appropriate equipment and the strength to carry it. I've only begun exploring Mars a few years ago when our school let a few students borrow suits to experience the outside. And I knew then and there that I wanted to see more and experience more, and so did most of my buddies. While I focused on getting fit, healthy, and smart enough to become an astronaut, I had friends who specialized in engineering. We even built a prototype space shuttle that could leave Mars's atmosphere and safely travel space. We also received a prize for our excellent work, but this spaceship was never going to be used. First, because it could only welcome a few passengers, and second, because there was no way we would be able to put our hands on enough fuel to use it. But logistically, it could fly, and that much was enough to make us proud. In any case, the day of our final exams was coming to a close, and I wanted to pass. If I did, I could then request to be sent to Earth, I was hopeful. However, the morning of my test, the ground trembled and a wave of heat rushed over our colony. We could feel it, even through the thickness of our iron walls, even through the numerous layers of concrete beneath our feet. An emergency alert was displayed on our communication devices, and we were recommended to stay in our units. No more information was given something was off. I could hear alarms blaring off in the distance and the massive doors separating the different units shutting down for lockdown. In all 24 years of life on Mars, this was only the third time it happened. And the two previous ones were tests. I prayed to God, it was just a, another one of these routine tests but the dim lighting and the echoing sounds of explosions in the distance told me otherwise. The colony was in danger. I had no idea how much, trust me when I say the first thing that came to my mind was that we had a system failure, that our oxygen tanks were exploding one by one, and that we'd all die soon if our engineers didn't save the tanks. I communicated with my friend Kobe and Mika to ask about their unit, but Kobe didn't reply. His unit was at the far east end of the colony, where most of the explosion noises came from. His dad was the head engineer of the community, so he lived near the respiratory area of the colony. If shit happened, he needed to be the first one on site. My only hope was that these explosions were being contained and that no harm came to either my friends or the engineers responsible for our safety. Mika replied, but his unit was just next door to mine. The few words I read sent prickles of ice scraping the insides of my veins as my blood rushed throughout my entire system. Those words read were being attacked. I tried to use my communicator to contact him again, but the communication system shut down. It didn't lack battery power, but it couldn't connect to a signal. I deduced that my friend had picked up something on his illegal radio, something that the rest of the colony shouldn't know, so panic wouldn't seize us. He was always the guy who tinkered with electronics, building stuff, and no wonder he was the one who had the idea of the space shuttle. If anyone here could know something that shouldn't be known, it was him. The explosions in the distance stopped, and the doors keeping us in lockdown suddenly reopened. I waited with bated breath to see the reception get better, but to no avail. At the end of a drill, our officials would send us an emergency alert to tell us that we did good or bad. There wasn't anything showing up on the screen of my communication device, and then suddenly a loud metallic noise was heard in the distance, it came from the east side again. Our colony is shaped like a plus sign, and my unit is located on the middle south branch, Mika's just below me near the far end of the south branch. Whatever it was that attacked us, it was coming. And I couldn't wait for it where I stood. With our communications cut, we wouldn't ask for help either. Would the help come fast enough anyway? Doubtful. We needed to leave. Now, I planned to get Mika and head north before whatever was east got to the crossroad. If we headed north, we would be able to get to the rover areas. We would be able to suit up, get a rover, and drive to the nearest colony. The metallic noise came back, and this time it was much closer, I'd say three or four units down the east side. This is where the family units started. I heard screams erupting from the east side, and they reverberated throughout the halls. The noises were dull in comparison to the intensity of that metallic noise. It almost felt like the colony walls were bending under pressure. It's the kind of sound you'd expect a can to make if you crushed it under your foot very slowly. But at like a thousand times the intensity in decibels. I had to cover my ears as I got to my mom and dad and told them to either hide or to follow me. They stared at me pale in the face and my dad whispered something about waiting for a word from the officials. I couldn't believe it. I yelled at him, told him they were not going to be any word from the officials and that we were under attack. I had snapped. I had never raised my voice at my parents. Never would have dared. I saw love and fear in my dad's eyes as he told me to get Mika because he knew what kind of plan I had and he knew he couldn't risk slowing me down, but he could try to slow down whatever it was that was coming at us. My heart was torn in half, and I kissed them quickly before dashing towards Mika's unit. It took me 15 minutes to get to his unit, and I found him trying to do the same thing as me, convince his parents to go to the rovers. They followed after a bit more convincing, but one glance at Mika was more than enough to let him know we couldn't wait for them to run faster. You see, in the colonies, only army officials have weapons. None of us were army officials, and only those who lived in the west branch and near the rovers in the north had guns to defend themselves. We passed by my unit, My parents weren't there. It took us another 15 minutes to reach the crossroad. And there they were. My dad was holding an old aluminum baseball bat he brought from Earth. He smiled at me, and I yelled at him to come with us. But he closed his eyes and turned around. And in the distance, I saw them. Tall, slender forms that looked like they were nothing but skin and bones, and yet exuded an aura of strength the likes of which made my knees buckle. These eyeless creatures' skins were a varying shade of greys, but the one leading them was darker than the rest. Its skin was almost charcoal, and from its shoulders, bony spikes protruded while they walked on two legs and had slender limbs reminding me of humans. Nothing else about them was human. Their bodies were covered in patches of armor with intricate designs. Their hands had long, gnarly fingers that ended with claws as sharp as daggers. Their jawlines were strong and looked plated in metal, and they had a weird, glowing device wrapped around their skull. Even in the distance, I could tell it was looking at me, peering at me in ways no creature with eyes ever could. I felt dread gnaw at the bottom of my spine, and its lipless mouth stretched, revealing thin, needle-like fangs and blackened gums dripping with saliva. It howled but the noise was closer to a gust of wind than a howl. It had a presence, a texture, and I could feel it caress my skin as if touched by the cold hand of the dead. And I screamed, run, run, and I started running toward the rovers, toward to what I believed to be our only chance at salvation, survival. Creature's claws dragged against the iron walls, and the metallic noise from earlier tore through the atmosphere again. I couldn't see it, but I could imagine the walls being teared apart as quickly as if it were paper underneath those abominations' long, gnarly fingers. I couldn't even glance back at my parents. You stayed behind and I couldn't imagine a small aluminum bat would be much protection against those creatures. I ran and felt my eyes sting. I didn't know which was worse. The sadness of knowing I'd never see my parents again or the fear of these monsters. My entire universe, as small as it was, was crashing down at a frantic speed. As I breached past the second northern unit, I realized that I wasn't the only one who had this idea. People were running around like crazy, both ahead of us and behind us. I could hear their steps and the screams that became a lot louder once these creatures reached the crossroads. I could listen to their claws as they ripped through walls. I could hear the blood-curdling sound humans made as they lost their lives merciless carnage. My heartbeat was loud and deafening, but I could still hear the agony and the massacre going on behind me. My lungs were on fire too. I couldn't imagine how Mika was faring either, and I could see him slowing down in my peripheral vision. At this point, it was all man for himself. Or so I thought until I reached the barricades. The soldiers were already there, armed to the teeth and preventing us from reaching the rovers. They were screaming at us to stand down, to back away, and I could see a little girl in the first row staring at her mom with fearful eyes. Behind me, the sound of terror was getting louder, so loud that even the soldiers in front of us couldn't ignore it. As the abominations reached our sight again, people started panicking and pushing. And the first shot was fired, and I heard the distinctive sound of a body thumping to the ground. The baby girl's mother fell, and the scent of copper reached my nose. I lost it at this point, and I believe that's where the rest of us lost it too. It was the tipping point. Either we died by the claws of these monsters, or the guns and we took our chance with the guns. The soldiers' guns were blazing, but a dozen soldiers were not enough to stop the crowd. We pushed back and advanced. We stepped on the bodies of the fallen and pushed forward past the barricade. I never wanted to feel what it was like to walk over someone, but I will always remember it. I closed my eyes for a second as I pushed the person in front of me, using them as a shield in case bullets came my way, and I heard it when claws buried into flesh and blood spurted from the human throat like a fountain. I didn't look, but the sound was so near it left little to the imagination. I could also taste the iron in the air. As we finally reached the rover's area, we realized a lot of them were missing. Mika and I used whatever was left of our energy, and fought for the suits, and then fought for the rovers. We knew the moment the bay door opened, the oxygen would be cut, and we didn't want to be suitless when it happened. We jumped on a rover and drove to the far end of the garage, where a few other rovers were already parked. People were screaming and running behind us, Mika's parents were nowhere to be seen and I already knew what happened to mine. Yet all I could think about was the girl I saw in the front row. It was unlikely she survived the panic, and even if she did, she wouldn't survive this. The bay doors started to open, letting the Mars atmosphere fill the space. Humans would only have a few minutes and I didn't know about these creatures. Seeing how they entered Mars' atmosphere and wrecked havoc through our colony with such ease, I knew the chances of them dying from the planet's atmosphere were thin, and our only hope was to reach the nearest settlement, to warn them. As soon as the doors were opened, folks on the rovers raced to the exit. I could hear them bumping into each other, another catastrophe waiting to happen. I saw an opening on the left and rushed there, managed to squeeze out and avoid the traffic jam and an accident, and then I rushed forward. I had no idea where the next colony was, but Mika did, and he programmed it into the rover's directional system. We drove for two hours before reaching the closest colony, told them our story and a few other rovers arrived later on, confirming our stories. The second colony sent a distress message to Earth, requesting the right to go to the central settlement and request the transfer to Earth. Mika and I decided not to wait. We sent this message directly through the satellites, and were filling up the rover and leaving for the central colony as soon as possible. Otherwise... I might never see Earth. They tried to stop us, said they couldn't contact Central because of all the noise, and that it was a miracle the message even reached Houston, added that we should stick together in case these things came over. But these fools didn't understand that that was precisely the point. We can't fight back these things unless we bring out the big guns, and I'm not even sure that any colony on Mars even has those. And if there's one colony that has a chance to fight back, it's Central Colony. You see, Central is where the Upper Mars Society lives. There are no regular families like mine, only the cream of the crop. It's, as you call it, the world government for us. This is where political figures, high-ranked officials, and the brains live. It's where all decisions concerning the Mars colonies happen, and where Houston sends most of the resources before they're being redistributed between colonies. If humanity on Mars had a chance of survival, the central colony was where it happened. So, even with their insistence to at least stay the night, We refueled and left. We also made sure to put on a few more layers on, because the drive to Central Colony would take at least 5 hours, by the time we arrived, it would be night already, and Mars can get pretty damn cold that night. I'm not talking get a jacket cold. I'm talking if you aren't dressed enough, you die cold. Hopefully we wouldn't lose a toe or two before reaching the Central Colony. Though, to be honest, between losing a couple of toes and risking an invasion, I preferred losing the toes. Losing my toes wouldn't prevent me flying back to Earth, though dying under the claws of the invader would. We packed enough fuel for the road, filled our water and oxygen tanks, and brought a couple of spares as well. We would probably have to stop to fuel the rover a little over half the way but Mika made the calculation. We had enough of everything. It's safe to say that I would and am trusting him with my life. The guy has always been a genius since as far as I can remember. By the age of eight, he was already building robots. By age nine, some of his inventions were implemented permanently in the colony's systems. At age 17, He revisited the whole energy system with the geniuses of the Central Colony. He could live there. He had been offered to join them. He simply didn't want to leave his parents and friends behind. So, you can now understand why I trust him with everything I have. He's not like the rest of us. Remember how I said it was every man for himself when we were both running away? I would have left him there if it meant saving my life. I'm not proud to admit it but him he would have stopped and helped me Mika was always thinking of others and how to improve life on Mars that's probably why he was one of the only ones who didn't care whether he went to earth or not I admire him but I also wouldn't want to be him in a life or death situation selfish as I might sound you can't save anyone if you die I'll protect my skin first, then I'll help others. And this is why we need to go to Central and fly to Earth, so we can warn them about what's coming. It makes no doubt in my mind that if these creatures attacked us here, they'd soon figure out there's another us, none too far in our solar system. Once we left the second colony, and Mika shoved the coordinates of the Central in the rover's directional system, I allowed myself to relax a little. I even put the rover on autopilot so that I could rest a bit more. My shoulders had been tense since the beginning of the day, and my back was starting to hurt like a bitch. I also realized I'd been clenching my teeth for hours, and that jaw pain was a thing. And as I sat there behind the wheel and stared outside aimlessly, Mika asked me the question no one wants to answer at a time like this. Hey, you okay? (laughs) Of course. Of course I'm not fucking okay. I want to reply that so bad, but it's not like he doesn't know what my answer is. Does he want me to tell him I'm fine so he could focus on something else? Or does he want to play therapist on top of being my life savior? I'll take a few seconds before I settle on an answer. I'm alive. I don't think anyone could resume the situation better. I'm not good for sure, but I'm breathing. A privilege many lost today. I'm still alive, so I could still fight, and so is he. Mika replied a quick same, and leaned back in a seat. And five hours in silence in a self-driving rover. It's going to be long. However, neither of us had anything to talk about. I mean, we could probably talk about what we would do once we reach the central colony. But both of us already knew. We would go to the official and higher-ups, say our story, request a transfer to Earth, and pray they would give it to us. Chances are that they won't, since we're really not top tier enough for that in that scenario our only chance would be to steal as many liquid hydrogen tanks as possible from them and go back to our colony with the hopes that our own rocket hadn't been destroyed even then it would take uh, the very least two or three months to get to earth our rocket was small so it travels fast but i wondered if it was faster than those aliens what if they chased us what if they followed us Mika was probably thinking the same, and would self-sacrifice if I let him. Fortunately for him, I'm an egoist and I want to live. Earth can welcome us and fight them. You can't save anyone if you're dead. And if we die here, they won't know what's coming. So we have to do something. About halfway through our trip, the fuel tank starts flashing. We continue for about 20 minutes and then stop to refill. The sun is setting and the temperature is already pretty low. We have to get to Central Colony as soon as possible. And it takes another two hours at least to get there. And we hope to make it there before it becomes completely dark. By an unprecedented streak of luck, we managed it. And about an hour and a half into our trip, we finally see the lights on the horizon. And we know we're getting there i could feel my eyes sting just thinking about the central colony but my joy was of short duration because the closer we got the more we realized the lights on the horizon were no lights there were fires part of the central colony was on fire while the other half looked intact i didn't know about the anatomy of the central colony but i assumed the worst if they had been attacked before us It meant that the oxygen tanks had been destroyed, and that everyone had been killed. I gave a quick glance to Mika, who had the same expression as me on his face. It's not like we could just go back from where we came from. By the time we reached the second colony, it would be well below freezing, very much well below freezing, and neither of us would be able to survive that. Mika probably knew what I was thinking we can get in and isolate for the night there doesn't seem to be any aliens left there wasn't a single noise not that we would have heard much through our suit but we could see from our distance that there was no signs of life we could hope maybe that there were some survivors in the wing that hadn't been touched but our hopes were thin we finally reached the colony and entered through the exploded bay door The rovers were all in shambles, maybe the aliens started their invasion of Central by making sure they couldn't run away, and it looked like there wasn't a single human body in that room, so nobody had the time to try and escape. And I dreaded what we would find behind the sealed doors though. We hid our rover amongst a bunch of destroyed ones, if there were survivors. We didn't want it stolen from us, after all there would be no going back to Earth from Central now. The realization dampened on me, and I swallowed thickly as I got off the rover and followed Mika to the set of ultra-locked twin doors that led to the rest of the Central Colony living areas. It didn't take him long to find a way to open them by messing with the digital pad on the side. Once inside, we thanked our luck and realized there was oxygen. I still didn't take off my suit, but I did take off my helmet. The oxygen is probably from the backup system. We have probably about 12 to 18 hours, assuming this attack happened today. Again, answering a question I didn't ask. But 12 to 18 hours was more than enough time to sleep, gear up, and leave. As we enter the main hallway, the stench of blood fills my nose, and my brain refuses to acknowledge the scene of horror I'm forced to see. Left and right body parts are laying about, guts on display. The walls are dripping with blood and lacerations caused by, no doubt, the creature's claws. There are several heads piled up in a corner, which leads me to believe that not only are the monsters kill mercilessly, but some of them even took sick pleasure into arranging a gory scene. They're having fun. Furthermore, each severed head missing its eyes and teeth. Their lids have been ripped off, and brain bits are dangling out of their sockets. Some skulls have been so damaged that they've been reshaped entirely. If it weren't for the facial features that remained untouched, it would be hard to call them human heads. I could have stayed there and watched in awe and shock the scene painted before me but the sound of Mika emptying his stomach reminds me that we had things to do and that there is nothing to be done for Central anymore. I suck in a breath and try to ignore the taste of copper in the back of my mouth. Shoving my arm around Mika's shoulders, I start walking down the hallway hoping to find a room or somewhere clean enough for Mika to fall asleep for a few hours. We finally reach a crossroad. I decide to go south. Once I found a family unit that wasn't covered in gore and slashes, I let Mika sit down. i review our plan with him, and it's decided that we'll sleep in turn, just in case of a sudden attack. The one who's awake will gather supplies. Fuel, food, oxygen anything useful for our trip. I let him settle down first and start my exploration. After two hours of walking through the carnage, I've gathered all the oxygen tanks and food I could find at the crossroad. At this point, it's well past midnight and my adrenaline is crashing fast. Even I will need sleep eventually. But we'll sleep in four-hour blocks, so I still have two hours to wait. And so, for another hour, I move what I scavenged to the rover. I then look around for a trailer, anything that would help us carry all of this. And we'll definitely need either a second rover to take all that stuff, or a trailer. And unfortunately, everything around here has been destroyed. And then a brilliant idea struck me. I could use the carcass of a rover as a trailer... I spent another two hours dismantling a rover so only the frame remains and let mika relax for five instead of four i start filling it up with oxygen tanks and food and there's still enough space to carry maybe four or five liquid hydrogen tanks and in the rover with us we can take maybe two more mika said that we'd need at least ten to get to earth so i hope that we would find at least three back at our colony i get back inside take off my helmet again, and start walking toward where I left Mika. Unfortunately, before I reached the crossroad, a loud metallic noise coming from the north area sends chills down my spine. Hell, could I make it to Mika and rush back to the rover? Should we hide and wait? Could we? Or should I just try to run to the rover and try it myself outside in the temperatures of negative 100 or so? And hope for the best my lizard brain wanted me to leave mika and hope for the best in the outside world it wanted me to survive no matter what the cost however i wouldn't make it to earth without mika and without central if i was ready to abandon him when we were back at our colony it was because i thought i would receive help at central and be sent to earth but now that central is gone Mika's the only one who could save us, and potentially Earth. I run as fast as I can to get to Mika, but he isn't in the room, and I try to think of where he could be, but I've never been to Central. The metallic noise resonates again through the atmosphere, but it's a little different than what I had heard back at our colony. Maybe we're not under attack. Only one way to figure it out. I run again out of the family unit and towards the noise, my heart ready to burst. Once I'm close enough to the source, I slow down my pace and walk along the walls. I peer into what looks like open air space and see Mika tinkering with something, and then another metallic noise follows. My eyes finally get a peek at what's causing the sound. It's a machine that's picking up liquid hydrogen tanks and depositing them on a platform with wheels. I could beat his ass for scaring me like that. I enter the room confidently and tell him he scared me shitless with that noise. He explains the machine's old and had been damaged, but he fixed it quickly. Unfortunately, it won't last long, so he's trying to pick as many of these tanks as he can. They're much bigger than I expected, and I doubt we can carry more than five. I tell him about it, and he tells me not to worry. He found something better than the rover to take us back safely. It's time to go back, Mika tells me, and I nod. I can only hope these creatures have moved on to another colony and haven't destroyed our rocket. despite central being a colossal disappointment there is hope lights at the end of the tunnel as they say we have more than enough fuel for our trip to earth amika is right when he says he found something much better to transport us back to our old colony what did he find exactly he found a loader what's a loader you ask well it's a huge armored car that has its own heating and oxygen system as well as an enormous cargo space. It looks like a bigger ARFF truck, but instead of wheels, it works on tracks. It's a bit slower than a rover, but we're not going to have to worry about not having enough oxygen or fuel. They used to use these trucks to carry animals, food, and materials between the colonies. Plus, we don't have to wait till morning to leave. We can sleep in there while it drives back to our colony considering the state of central i'm going to assume these aliens have already left to destroy another colony it doesn't look like colonies offer them much resistance if central was destroyed as quickly as my colony well then annihilation is imminent hopefully they haven't moved to the colony between central and us i'd rather avoid them seeing mika's grave expression I guess he's thinking about the same thing. It takes Mika and me another hour to load the cargo with the fuel tanks, food, and other supplies, we'll need our trip back to Earth. Once we're done, we pack our suits as well, just in case, and we get on board. Since I haven't slept yet, Mika offers to let me sleep for a few hours while he makes sure the trip back to our main colony is smooth. I didn't argue with that, honestly. I was about to fall down out of fatigue and adrenaline crash at least an hour ago. But my sleep is dreamless, it was comatose even. I woke up to the sound of explosions in the distance and instantly my blood turns to ice. Mika tells me it's colony A-19 and that he has already rerouted us in hopes the aliens won't see us. I cross my fingers, toes, knees, and arms hoping that they don't cast a glance at the horizon. For the next 20 minutes or so, I wait with bated breath for a sign that we've been discovered. The entire space around us is so tense I could cut it with a knife. It feels that the moment one of us opens our mouth, there's going to be a tear in time and space. We only start to relax again when we're far enough. We don't hear explosions anymore. And the radar doesn't beep to signify something's coming closer. Despite our relief understanding we were not seen and aren't being chased, we also understand what this means for Colony A-19. I mean, it's not like we could have saved him. If we would have gone there... We would have met our doom as well. Some of us had to survive if we want to be able to warn the rest of us on the big blue planet. Mika's the one breaking the silence with a loud coughing fit. It was very random, it was out of nowhere. But once he's done hacking his lungs out, he tells me he inhaled his saliva. I let out a small chuckle and relax, but I still think he looks a little pale. Hey, are you okay? I ask him. He replied that he's tired and stressed, but at least alive. I tell him he's going to be able to sleep once we're in the rocket. I'll be able to pick up where he won't be much use. His mission was, and still is, to make sure we reach the destination safely. Now I know I couldn't have done it without him, but the trip to Earth is on me and my competence as an astronaut. We finally reach our destination several hours later, and I even had the time to take another short nap. Considering I'll be the one launching the rocket and making sure everything's fine up there, Mika decided to let me sleep a little longer. As expected, the place is in shambles. A few of the colony's wings seem relatively untouched, and we pray that's the one our rocket is in there's not a single soul alive as we disembark the loader with our suits and start emptying the cargo. Using a discarded rover that got caught in an accident earlier, we start moving our stuff from the loader to where the rocket is. Hope is still on our side. As we enter the premise, we can't help but rejoice at the sight of our completely untouched tiny rocket. Since it was locked behind several iron walls, There wasn't a single soul around. The aliens probably thought it wasn't worth it to waste time on the machine. It's our luck. No matter what the aliens thought at the time, they gave us a way out. As fast as I can, I move our food, fuel, and stuff from the cargo to the rocket. I had to change my oxygen tank at some point, but there were plenty of them still around, so I was not in danger. Well, I packed our rocket, Mika Fuels, and prepares it for launch. Now, our last worry is that the moment we decide to launch, these aliens could see us and attack us. It's a risk worth taking, but one solid blow, and we could kiss our asses goodbye. It's only the next day that we are able to finally launch, We had to sleep in the loader to make sure we didn't use up any unnecessary fuel or oxygen. And the launch is a success. The radar even tells us that we're not being followed. And no unknown signal is being picked up. It's only half reassuring, considering we didn't see them coming from Mars. And we had those kinds of radars in each colony. We just hoped and crossed our fingers again. mika still seems a little too pale despite getting enough rest i feel like he's getting sick probably something he caught because of all the stress we're going through and i suggest he go rest again and he doesn't fight it he tells me he feels a little feverish and not to worry that it's probably just anxiety coming down on him hard can't say i don't relate but for the first time since beginning of the attacks I feel like things are finally getting better well I mean not really better my parents are still dead the Mars colonies have all but been annihilated and if they aren't they will be soon and my dream to go to earth is suddenly not as shiny as it once was going to earth because you want to is much different than because you need to I always thought of me flying to Earth as some sort of huge, magnificent trip, a trip of a lifetime, and maybe even a place I choose to stay. Now it's not a choice anymore. Either I fly there, or I don't, and I die. Leaving myself alone with my thoughts is a terrible idea. Maybe I should go wake Mika. Nah. That wouldn't be good, I'll let him have a few more hours. You see, at least that's what I thought I'd do until, not even an hour later, Mika wakes up and comes back to me. He looks like an absolute mess, with his hair sticking to his forehead and sweat covering his body. He looks like he's in a lot of pain, so I reach to him quickly and lead him back to bed and lay him down. I then spend the next six hours wiping him down as he mumbles incoherently, unable to find sleep. I wash my hands as often as I can and wear a mask because whatever it is he got, well I don't want it. I even put a mask on him to make sure he keeps it to himself. After another hour, he seems to calm down finally. His eyes are unfocused, but he isn't sweating as much. His skin is thick and warm to the touch, but I'm not a doctor so I don't question it. The good thing is, is that he finally fell asleep and it looks like his fever is receding. I managed to leave his room for a couple of hours. I take this time to clean myself with liquid soap and water pouches carefully. I even wash my hair with one of those rinseless shampoos to make sure that no bacteria or virus can survive on me. Mika sleeps for a whole 15 hours after that. But when he wakes up, he looks a little healthier. He's tired and hungry, obviously. So I give him a package of soup he can reheat in its own container. He has to add water and let the air convection do its thing, but at least he'll be able to have a hot meal. I share a meal with him 30 minutes later, me with my spaghetti and him with the soup, and I ask him how he feels. He tells me the fever's down, but he's still exhausted. I leave it at that. If anything, neither of us are doctors. I still tell him to check our medical supplies for Tylenol or anything if his fever comes back. But it doesn't come back. For another three weeks, we go about our daily lives. Then, another intense fever brings Mika down. This time, there's even blisters appearing on his skin, and he spends an entire week delirious and weak. I do my best to feed him, water him, and make sure he rests, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of hope for him. But yet he surprises me again as he wakes up from his unconscious state. It tells me he feels better than he's ever felt. His blisters look painful, and he applies some ointment he found in the medical box, but they only seem to be getting worse by the day. We're more than halfway through our trip. when Mika starts acting weird. The first thing I noticed is how the water pouches and soap don't seem to be used, other than me, I mean. His smell is getting nauseating, and his blisters are getting infected. I can tell from the stench, but also the size and the colors of his blisters. When I ask him about it, he says he's feeling fine. I recommend at least wiping down, and he frowns, telling me to mind my own business. His tone even leaves me a little shocked. Never in my lifetime have I heard him tell someone off. He was always the guy wanting to help everyone, and with his heart on his palm. I tell him I'll leave it alone, but that I'm awfully worried. Another week passes and it seems like he's avoiding me. The rocket isn't big enough for him to completely avoid me, but he never stays long in my presence. I try to eat with him at some point, but find him throwing away an empty package of raw chicken. It isn't weird for the guy to eat chicken, don't mistake me, but when I went to reheat my mac and cheese, the reheater was cold. Not the kind of cold you'd expect out of someone who just cooked and ate a chicken breast dinner meal for 30 minutes. Cook as in, the reheater was not used at all. Did Mika just eat raw chicken? Something's off about him but I don't know what to do I can't think of a single logical thing I could tell him to understand what's going on with his mind we still have one more week of travel before we're in range for communication with NASA and another week before we can reach Earth I need him to set the communication system so I do my best to avoid him and leave him be because it seems every time I open my mouth I set him off Another fever struck him down about two days later. This time, I was willing to bet it was Salmonella. I put a mask on, gloves, and start wiping him down. His blisters have gotten so big and juicy, they're spreading everywhere from his neck down. When I begin wiping him down, I realize just how bad it had gotten. I quickly unbutton his shirt and realize that not an inch of his skin isn't covered in blisters There. I take off his pants, and it's the same thing. His body is barely recognizable below the collarbone. It's swollen, red, angry, and some of those pus-filled zits have already burst and are dripping their infection all over him. This is more than I can take. I have to rush to our fecal expeller, and my dinner goes right down the vacuum. It takes all of my courage to go back to his room, and I'm almost sad I'm not wearing a hazmat suit. When I open the door, he's standing there in the middle of it. His eyes are glazed over, and I noticed his sclera is yellow. The infection is getting so insane, I'm thinking about quarantining him, but I don't have time to think about this. Mika's voice is barely above a whisper straining as he stares at me with the unfocused, creepy gaze. You've seen it. I've no idea what he's talking about. Did he mean his body, his blisters? The moment he jumps on me, I realize I won't need an explanation. For a man so insanely sick, his strength is formidable. I end up pinned underneath him. And have to fight back to get the advantage i wrap my fingers around his throat and squeezed while he clawed at my arms i could feel the warmth of my blood as it streaks down the length of my forearms mika punches me in the throat and i choke giving him enough time to revert the situation i can feel his fist again as it crashes against my jawline and something disgusting slimy and foul smelling squirt on my neck In my peripheral vision, I see it. The cavity of a burst blister in the way it pulses. I grab Mika's head and my thumb presses into one of his eyes. I manage to get control again and once I got him pinned down, hands around his throat, I lock my eyes with him. And I regret, I regret because at that moment I saw Mika, not the glazed zits covered monster i thought he had become because of his sickness he stares at me and asks me to kill him i'm not a hero i'm not saving him i'm not killing him to save me i'm killing him to protect myself once his body goes lifeless under me i do not hesitate to hold his throat for about 30 more seconds and until my entire body is shaking Then I leave his room I clean myself from head to toe Disinfect my wounds And I pray for the best It takes me another hour to return to his room Suited up as I led him to the garbage disposal I can't bring him back with me I put him in the trash vacuum with the rest of our garbage That is to be burned up in the atmosphere And then I release him After that, I passed out. I slept nine hours and woke up to the constant beeping on the radar. I'm not alone. This isn't NASA. But now we're within range. I say we, but it's me. It's only me now. I spent the next four days trying to contact NASA relentlessly. When I finally managed to contact them, I tell them everything except for Mika I'll give them the approximate coordinates of my landing and tell them that I'm not coming alone I warn them about the aliens but I can't tell them about the virus I can't tell them because I still want to see Earth The message was received by NASA, and they sent one back saying that they would welcome me. Somehow this didn't make me feel good. I knew there were only a couple of days left before I would get to Earth, but the message unsettled me. I wish I could have said I was happy that they would come to welcome me, but I had a gnawing feeling in the pit of my stomach. Would they be allies or would they be foes? I might be human, but I was still extraterrestrial. I was born and raised on Mars, and I came delivering news of impending doom and destruction at the hands of other extraterrestrials. The bearer of bad news always died in the books I have read. Messengers are beheaded, and their head left as a message at the gates for others who would dare bring harm to the kingdom. I did not sleep well for the next two days, despite communications being relatively okay between myself and NASA. The radar also started beeping, signaling that those who were chasing me were not far behind. Far enough that they probably can't see me in that big expanse of space, but close enough that they'll arrive on the planet not too long after me. Besides, I still had no idea how I would react to Earth's atmosphere. Again born and raised on Mars, my oxygen was fabricated and so was my gravity would it be similar enough that I wouldn't feel any effect, or would it be so vastly different that being in their atmosphere would kill me? There had been dozens of fictional works on that, but there wasn't a lot of back and forth real life stories about Mars astronauts going to Earth. There had been a few sent there, but they were never to stay long. Obviously, with the state that the Mars colonies were in, I couldn't just fly back. There was a lot at stake right now. While unable to sleep, I couldn't help wondering if I made the right decision. Coming to Earth, couldn't I have hidden on Mars and waited for the assault to be done and over with? What if there were still surviving colonies on Mars? As my dream of visiting Earth clouded my judgment. In the end, I knew I wouldn't be able to get an answer until I actually set foot on land and met with other humans. Whether or not they liked me, whether or not they were ally or foe, it was better to try and fail than to stay back and die. This thought brought me some warmth and hope. We're all humans, right? I was ready to enter Earth's atmosphere. Another thing I hadn't considered was the entry. Was this rocket sturdy enough to resist Earth's atmosphere? It was now or never. I strapped myself in my seat and sent one last message to NASA, giving them my coordinates. A handful of minutes later, communications were cut and the rocket whined as we passed the first layer of atmosphere. It resisted and there was no shaking, which meant the rocket was robust enough. Heat started to rise as the rocket picked up speed. Earth's gravity pulled at it, increasing the speed at which I entered. The heat only grew and I buried my nails in the armrest of the seat I was strapped in, praying that I wouldn't boil alive before reaching Earth. Sweat beaded on my forehead as I felt gravity root me to my seat. Maybe this rocket could have had a better heat shield. At a certain degree of temperature about 10 minutes into the entry, I felt cold air wash over me and realized that Mika programmed the rocket to cool itself off upon atmosphere entry. But sadly never see how the rocket saved my life a couple of more minutes passed and i remembered my training i opened the parachutes to slow down the rocket again i landed at sea in the middle of nowhere nasa was there to collect me a good thing because i couldn't walk at all my senses were a mess i couldn't stand up it was hard to look at all those guys pulling me out of the rocket i felt drunk but I suppose this was because of Earth's gravity. I was brought back to what I assumed was the NASA headquarters, or at least a bunker of sort. I was placed in a room that had a gravity similar to Mars, and I instantly felt better. I could focus my gaze again, stand up, and move as usual. A pair of nurses soon came in with a lot of vials, syringes, and cotton swabs. They made me pee in one of them then proceeded to poke me with both the needles and swabs until no inches of my body felt like it was left untouched. The back of my throat itched because of how deep one of the nurses buried the swab in. Then I was left alone. I can't say how long it lasted, but a few hours for sure. I didn't like the fact that I was alone in that room, behind a big glass with people looking at me. The gnawing feeling I'd felt while on the rocket came back full force. Can you tell us more about the extraterrestrials? Not even a hello. Not even a how are you feeling? I straightened myself on my seat and both of my hands grabbed my knees. Now was not the time to be confrontational and I knew it. I told them everything I knew from the tip of their claws to the massacre. I avoided emotional details like the death of my parents or that little girl I saw in the bunker of the first colony. I mentioned the carnage at Central and how they crafted a scene, said they were intelligent beings with immeasurable cruelty. I felt something cold creep in the back of my throat. The bad feeling from earlier was exuberated by the fact that I felt like a laboratory rat, alone behind that glass panel. What about the virus? When that question fell, I felt like the floor was dissipating beneath my chair. If I hadn't been seated, my knees would have buckled under my weight. How did they know about the virus? I didn't say anything about Mika. I didn't mention that the rocket was his, or that I hadn't been alone in the rocket. How could they know? My mouth went dry, my pupils dilated caught like a deer in the headlight it would be hard to hide or lie about it now i was never a good liar i could ask what virus they're talking about but i didn't think that playing stupid would work in my favor however telling them everything didn't sound like a great plan either i was pretty sure they didn't know about mika and that the virus somehow stuck to me but didn't influence me i crossed my fingers hoping i was immune so I told them that I knew I had caught something, but had no idea what it was. I described light symptoms of fever for a couple of days and a slight insomnia. I didn't talk about how Mika's skin was covered in rashes and blisters, how some of them were so filled with pus that the barest touch made them explode. I didn't talk about the change in mood and how he did things that made no sense like eating raw chicken. I still didn't mention Mika, so I asked what their plan was for the invasion, how they planned to stop them from re-entering Earth's atmosphere and destroying everything in their wake. The only other thing they said to me was, you were supposed to be sacrifices, and you doomed us all. I gasped, and then the nurses from earlier came back, this time dressed in what looked like a hazmat suit requesting I follow them quietly. I did, but as soon as I was out of the gravity room, walking proved difficult. I'm ashamed to say that I needed to lean on one of those two women to get to the other room. There was a bed in a corner and a small toilet, a television hooked on the wall, and a shower in another corner, with no curtains. Just a drain in the floor and a curve to make sure the water got there. I was given soap, water, food, then locked in like a rat in a cage. My anxiety rose exponentially when I didn't receive any news for 24 hours. I was quarantined, a platter of food was deposited three times in the last 24 hours, but no one talked to me, no one questioned me, no one told me anything about either the virus, the aliens or when they were going to release me. I shouldn't be panicking like that. I struggled and did all I could to warn them. So why were they treating me like a stranger? I wanted to scream and punch and demand to meet the manager of this place or something. But no one came. And 12 hours later, I was stuck in that room with no one to talk to and nothing to do. I could watch television, which was a new thing for me, but... I had no access to any sort of news. There wasn't a special announcement about aliens, and neither was there one about a Martian coming to Earth. Just a very old black and white show with a man named Rod Serling. I had my answers about 45 hours after I entered Earth's atmosphere. In the middle of the night, I woke up to the ground shaking wildly and the lights were going off. I swallowed thickly as I heard the sound of explosions in the distance. My entire body tensed as they seemed to get closer and closer. As I stood up, something exploded near where I was, and a short circuit unlocked the door to my cell. I could stay here and wait for someone to explain the situation, or I could bolt out. I'd been left to my own devices for too long to trust that they would see me as an ally and the fear that those damages were done by aliens was far more than enough incentive to run. I grabbed a shirt and dashed out. In the hallway about 200 meters from where I was laid three charred bodies. Fire alarms and sprinklers were drowning the voices of NASA experts and scientists alike. I hid in the nearest office I found and stole the NASA pass that lied on the desk. I was not staying here. I was lucky enough to find a pair of shoes that was only about a half inch too big for me and a coat that would hopefully be enough to hide who I was. I returned to the hallway and jogged until I found a map of the nearest exit and ran out as fast as I could. I took advantage of the chaos to worm my way out but the sight that greeted me was far from welcoming. The blue sky I had always dreamed of was covered in angry clouds and explosions littered it. The aliens were here, and they were not alone. Two more spaceships accompanied the main one that destroyed Mars colonies. I could see them as bright as day, and I could see humans firing rockets at their shields. I was rooted in my spot, filled with despair as I realized none of those rockets were causing damage. And they shot back. They shot to where I was, and I ran with everything I had. I don't think they knew I was there, but they weren't shooting randomly. They aimed for the NASA bunker and the directions the missiles came from. I ran away from NASA and kept running for as long as my lungs could withstand. The gravity on Earth was intense, and it made running very difficult. I felt like I weighed a ton. Before long, I could feel my saliva thicken and cold creeping up my airway. I still kept running. And then the loudest explosion of all happened, and the blast shoved me to the ground. I ate dirt. I felt like my ears were done for, and bile rose in the back of my throat. When I looked up, I saw it. Debris of one of the enemy spaceships falling around like little shooting stars. Humans of Earth had done it. I didn't have the time to look around and congratulate. Even if humanity won over the aliens, there was still the problem of the virus, and what they would do with me. So when my body allowed it, I started running again. An older man driving a pickup stopped and asked me where I was going, and I simply said away from here. I climbed in the passenger seat and felt like my heart was about to burst. Another loud explosion happened, and the older man by my side turned his gaze to the sky, looking at it through his windshield. Them old bastards shooting anything that's in range. And ain't nobody talking about this on the TV. For a second, I was at a loss. What was that man saying? That we shouldn't shoot the aliens? Is he out of his mind? Then I remembered that wishful thinking is a thing and that this guy has not a single clue what kind of monsters they are. I told them that I was sure they were doing this to protect us, and he went on a rant about how humanity is ruining its only chance at a good intergalactic relationship. He then went on about how it's the first time we have a contact with another planet. I asked him, what about the Mars colonies? And he started laughing. He started laughing so hard that my discomfort at the explosion seemed minor in comparison. Oh, you believe in that? Well, that's a centuries old story, boy. How the government created colonies on Mars as a sacrifice before Earth. Everybody knows this was a story invented by the government to make people feel better about Earth's situation. Earth's situation? story the man saw my confusion and then explained that the mars colonies were a thing the government invented when there was a lot of talk about what if the planet becomes inhospitable that mars was plan b and then he kept talking about mars wasn't a solution and that nobody could live there i realized nasa had no intention to release me right then and there I still wanted to see Earth. A final explosion told me that humanity finally managed to get rid of the invasion, but now aliens were the least of my problems. Humans were. Virus or not, I was now considered a danger to them. Once I reached the town, I thanked the guy and gave him a quick hug and handshake. And then I disappeared without a trace. Just like the colonies on Mars.